like a raise of hands if somebody has been judged unfairly, if you're being oppressed and need some mercy, would you all raise your hand? Or if you know somebody that's being oppressed or needs mercy, Judy, CJ, others, anybody right here? Sister, would you go lay your hands on those that have their hands up and just bring the mercy of Jesus this morning? Cherie's going to be doing that. Gay. Mark. Thank you, Lord. If you need God's mercy on something, if you are self-judging yourself, if you have repeated offenses against yourself, Jesus' mercy is there for you. The judgment has already been done. God the Father judged Jesus completely on the cross. And you don't need to judge yourself. You're free. And Jesus is here to say you're free from this. You don't have to judge yourself. And you don't have to take the judgment of others. Thank you, Lord. He also said that there is healing this morning for cancer. And that's why I have the kids in here. If you or anybody you know is fighting cancer, I would like you to be bold enough to stand up. Anybody you know or yourself fighting cancer, I would like you to stand up. Be bold. CJ, you're anointed to heal. There's your assignment right there. Kids, if you would be bold and brave enough to maybe go with your mom or dad, And I want you to go lay hands on these people that are standing up. And I want you to pray for them and heal them of cancer. I'm going to give you two names, people. First name is Jesus. Second name is cancer. Which one's bigger? Please say it. Cancer's bigger? Jesus is bigger. Jesus is right here, right now. And these kids and CJ are going to bring you this healing. They're just going to lay hands on you. And cancer has no room more because Jesus is going to invade. Do you all remember Darren, the, the uh, young African-American guy that came up? He told, he told me a story this week. His mom was fighting cancer. And she got into the presence of God. That's all she did. She says, I've got to get into the presence of God. And when she did that, the Lord told her, your cancer is gone. She went back to the doctor and guess what? Cancer had to bow its knee before the name of Jesus. The presence of God is what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm calling it the atmosphere. Get into the atmosphere of God, and things change. Cancer, you have no place in these bodies. Cancer, you are dead. You are dust, and you will, you will pass out of these bodies in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Is that Adrian I see? Are you Adrian? I met, I met you at Mark's house, didn't I? Mark, there's your buddy, Adrian. You want to come sit with Mark? Come on. Guys, this is Adrian. He's one of my friends. Give him a hand. <laughs> Welcome, buddy. I don't mean, I'm not embarrassed. I saw a familiar face. I was like, i get, got to get you up here. Yeah. Adrian, Jesus' love is here for you today. If you just want it, just step into his atmosphere, man. It's there, okay? I've been praying for you, actually. 
I have. been praying for the last two weeks for you. Just that Jesus would be real to you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Kids, you are released. If you'd like to go, thank you for praying. Church. Hallelujah. Where's my sister, CJ? Okay. Cherie, why don't you come on up? We're going to have a little buffet of messages today. And the first message is from Cherie. And she's got a word for us. So I'm going to step aside. Step aside. I'm going to roll aside. Papa Wheelie. Last week, I made, I think, what has been the most amazing decision, aside from accepting Christ, that I've ever made. And that was to be adopted into a family. For months, I don't know how many months, but for months, I've been really, honestly, for years, I've been praying about discipleship, who to be discipled by, who to go to, what is it, what does it look like, I have no idea. And for months, I've been having the Dunhams on my heart. And I thought, no, because I know them, I like them, we're friends, yada, yada, yada. And just last week, it was like the Holy Spirit said, go now. So I approached them and I said, I want to be discipled. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I want to submit to your authority. I was accepted. The cool part about that is, is I was expecting one thing, but what I got was something completely different. I was adopted yesterday. I made the joke of, should I change my last name to Dunham now? (laughs) I was adopted. And for me, I have family. I'm I'm an only child, but I have family all over the place. But when I walked into my parents' house, into mom and dad Dunham's house, I was greeted with presence. I was greeted with love, unconditional. That's overwhelming. And that song, that, that song really, it really hit me when we were doing that song, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It's only when you accept that that you can pour that out. They've accepted it, and now they're pouring it out. Now that I'm accepting it, I can pour it out and overwhelm somebody else that I can search out that one and bring them in. You know, I'll leave all of you guys. I love you guys. I love you. But if there's that one, I want to seek that one out and let them be overwhelmed. Amen. Thank you, Cherie. Cherie's been gifted with a gift of mercy. If you ever need mercy, go to her. She'll dump it out on you, okay? She's going to be coming straight against the spirit of religion, especially in the Muslim world. She's, she's got a heart for the Muslims, and she's going to bring mercy to them. CJ, would you come up? Claire and I had lunch with CJ. Wow, mighty woman of God. And I asked her, just by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, to share a word. She said one thing that we're going to hear over and over and over again this morning, that is yes. Right? If the Lord calls, it's just yes. Cherie came to me last week and said, I think I'm supposed to be discipled by you and mom. But I don't know what to do. And I said, perfect. She said, the yes, and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. It's just the yes that he's looking for. You don't throw clean clothes in a clothes washer, right? You don't put clean dishes in the dishwasher. You just say yes to the Holy Spirit, and he does the rest. She's going to give a little word here. Y'all pay attention. Um. The, uh, when I was praying about what to, to talk on, I uh, sense Holy Spirit wanted me to talk on hope, which is um, something that Holy Spirit has been percolating and building in my heart and in my spirit for, for decades. Um, <clears throat> I think God is telling me, I think he's telling us that we can't really walk out this Christian life unless we have hope. Hebrews says that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? 
That means that you've got to have something that you're hoping for before you can even have faith. Um, I'm, I'm really big into words, so I looked up the definition of substance. What does it mean? What is, what is substance? Substance is many definitions, but it's a tangible reality of something. Faith is the tangible reality of what you're hoping for. But guess what? If you're not hoping for anything, then faith can't come. Really believe that God wants to challenge us this year to partner with him and start hoping for something. Get that, that dream, that vision in your mind that you want God to do. And when God says yes to your hope, then you start walking out in faith. But don't be empty-handed. Bring your sacrifice of hope. Bring your, your gift of hope to God so God can pour out his reckless, unending love on it and give you things that you never imagined. I, uh, I wanted to talk to Maria and Aaron this morning because I've been really fascinated by their story with Evelyn and how she came about. And, uh, and I just wanted to ask them, you know, what, what was hope for Evelyn like for you? And what was that transition point when your hope for Evelyn became faith for Evelyn? Um, and they talked about how, you know, we had this desire, this hope in our heart that we would have a baby. But then after some time, um, that hope was challenged because we were not having a baby. We couldn't conceive a year past. The doctor said, you should be pregnant by now. You're on medication. And it still wasn't happening. Um, and it, uh, it really inspired me when Aaron said, though, that, you know, Aaron and Maria said that we still had that hope. And I, I, I really want to talk about what Christian hope is versus, I think, what the world says hope is, right? The world kind of says hope is optimism, optimism and positive thinking. It's not what it is for, for believers. Hope is looking at a situation that, that's dead. It's looking at a situation that says it's not going to happen, that says that in the natural everything is going to fall apart, but God. But God. <laughs> And Aaron said that the more that the baby didn't come, the more our hope rose. Like, what is that? That doesn't happen. And, and he sealed it by saying, we realized that that hope was Jesus. That hope was Jesus. It wasn't an optimism that it's going to happen. It wasn't positive thinking. It was Jesus. Um, I want to end with one last story and, and a verse. On Christmas Eve, uh, my sister and I went down south, and we worshipped at First Baptist of Sutherland Springs. Um, Most of you probably know, but on November 5th, um, there was a gunman who came in and killed 26 members of their church. And Holy Spirit just laid it on our heart to worship with them and let them know that the church everywhere was with them in their tragedy. And we had a chance to, to be there and a chance to, um, to speak a little bit with Pastor Pomeroy, who also lost his daughter in the, in the situation. And, uh, and Pastor Pomeroy's uh, message that Sunday was the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And <laughs> it... Um, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> Just to hear him talk about how the world says that we should be angry. The world says that we should be vengeful. The world says that we should be downtrodden by what has happened to us. But we look at it, we mourn the people that we have lost in our congregation, and we say, but God... But God, God is able to bring life from death. God is able to bring victory from defeat. God's able to bring forgiveness from every single offense that you've ever had in your entire life. God is able. And that, that's the hope that we have that's only in Jesus. It's only in Jesus because Jesus is the only one who rose from the dead. That's why Jesus is the resurrection. That's why we can look at dire circumstances and say it doesn't matter. I don't care what it looks like. God's got this. Uh, I'm just going to read this last verse that, that really ties up everything to me. Um, it says that we look for that, that blessed hope. 
that blessed hope, which is the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that we might that he might redeem us from all iniquity, purify us unto himself a peculiar people who are zealous for good works. And these things we will speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority that no man despise us. Just want to encourage us that we have a hope that the world needs, and let's let's give it to them. Amen. I want I want you to lead a prayer right now to release hope on the hopeless. Okay, if you would like an extra dose of hope, CJ is going to pray for you right now. Just raise your hand. Father, we thank you that you are the blessed hope. Father, we receive you into our hearts as as that hope, Lord. And Father, I just release hope over this body, God. I pray for a hope that we've never had before, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, for just a, a new anointing of dreams and visions and revelations and plans and goals, God, that are divinely inspired by you, God. And God, we receive that you will say yes to those dreams and visions that are of you and will walk out in faith God and accomplish the the greater works that you've called us to do father we receive it we believe it and we thank you for it God in Jesus name amen thank you CJ didn't you do a good job (laughs) CJ has taken the uh, the command from Jesus to raise the dead and heal the sick very seriously. So if you have any dead that need raising, there's your girl right there. All right? She's seriously one day, right? If you need healing for something, CJ's been anointed for it. So Mark, why don't you come on up? I want you to grab a chair over there. Let's get this machine woken up here. Wake up. Mark. You're a lustful man. Did you know you're a lustful man? Yes, sir. You're what? I'm a lustful man. What does that mean? Well, um, the word lust actually means uh, to have a passion or a longing for something. So I would say that I'm a very lustful man because I have a lot of passions for a lot of things. Yeah, but isn't lust like pornography and naked women and all that kind of stuff? Well... Uh, people associate it with that because uh, a lot of people biblically tended to have passions for adultery and sin like that, but you can also have a passion for God and what's good. So you can be lustful towards the things of God. Isn't there a scripture that says? There is. In uh, James uh, chapter 4, verse 5, it says the spirit lusteth against our envies because the spirit lusts the things of God against what our flesh envies. Mark has got a, a short message here on tools, hidden tools of the kingdom of God. And his first one was lust. Lust is a tool we can use for the kingdom of God, to be passionate after the things of God, right? What yes, other sir. tools? Uh, we also have... I believe it is uh, hardening your heart. Now, wait a minute. Hardening the heart is just the quick road to hell, isn't it? Mm. Harden your heart off to God? (laughs) Well, you can harden your heart against God, but you can also harden your heart against things like distractions. So, How does that work? Well, what hardening your heart is is basically it's putting your focus on one thing and hardening your heart against all the other distractions. So, like a sniper, a sniper puts his focus on his scope and on his target, and it doesn't matter everything around him, whether it's the weather or the noises, he's focused on that one point. So, what has he hardened his heart against? He's hardened his heart against the weather, against the noises, against everything around him, and just focused on the target and the scope. So, if we have our focus on God... What have we hardened our heart against? We've hardened our heart against everything that tries to distract or come against our focus. So it's a tool yes. we could use. Yes, so sir. hardening our heart and lust are not wrong. It's just a tool. Yes, precisely. What other, what other tool do you have? 
We also have doubt. It's a very, very oh, now, useful come on. tool. You gotta be kidding me. Doubt? <laughs> yes. How can doubt be a tool? Well, um, doubt is actually um, in the original Hebrew language. It does not exist. The word doubt doesn't exist because they only had belief or contradicting belief. There was no doubt. So you can doubt God's existence, or you could doubt God's non-existence, Are you but sure? they're still beliefs. <laughs> yes. So, okay, I've got this belief. Okay, let's call it a tree, all right? And I believe that the healings that we saw in the Bible were for only the Bible time. That is my belief. Okay. So how would you take your tool, your axe, well, and go against um, my belief? I would say a really good uh, use of doubt as a tool is testimony. So if you say, I believe there was only healing 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Yeah. But we have testimonies like, my mom was healed from cancer in the presence of God. CJ raised someone from the dead, this person healed that person, then that's the axe of doubt. Because that doubt just completely cuts at your old belief of healing is only 2,000 years ago. Because now you have a new belief that healing is available for now. Interesting. Is that good or what? You can use doubt to come against some beliefs that are against the Word of God. Now, what if you just wanted to argue? No, you're wrong. Right. See, that's, that's a belief against a belief. You can't, you can't defeat someone's belief just by coming right at it. You have to introduce the axe, the cutting, the repetitive testimony after testimony of challenging a belief system in you that may be wrong. Doubt is a tool, right? Yes, sir. Very good. Mark, you did a good job. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Dad. Three testimonies. I am a big proponent of getting the kids involved in the chores. Right? Do you live in a household where mom or dad do, does everything? Uh, that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? Especially if you're the dad. You have to train the kids, right? This is how you do it. Come on and do it with me, and then let them do it. That's discipleship, right? So I had three of my kids, if you will, come up and do the dishes or sweep the floor. Or deliver what the Lord gave to them. I asked them, what has the Lord given to you come up on Sunday? More of you are about to do dishes. Okay? This is not about who's on stage. It's about the body of Christ. All right, I'm on to another totally different thing. We're going to talk about God's atmosphere and Saul. Do you remember last week when David was talking about Saul and how he was following his donkey and then he found his destiny? We're going to be talking about atmospheres or a person's presence have you ever came into a room and somebody was there and you could just kind of sense their presence i remember when i was young and my dad was mad he didn't have to say a word i felt his atmosphere or his presence we used to have this little dog called alon right alon i believe was actually a seed of satan I'm not against the Chihuahua breed, but I'm just saying. When uh, We had several other dogs in the house as well. We had a Labrador and we had Great Pyrenees. But when Alon came into the room, he brought an atmosphere, right? The other dogs saw this. And guess what that did to the other dogs? They started doing this as well. They'd be yipping and yapping and barking, and everything was just so tense because of lawn. You didn't know if he was, you're going to pet him. Look at those eyes. You don't tell me the devil's not in those eyes right there. <laughs> a lawn had an atmosphere about him, all right? 
and he brought it into the room. We also had Buddy and Babe, two great Pyrenees. Now, their atmosphere was an atmosphere of I'm in charge, I'm in control, everybody is going to be safe because I'm on watch. All right? This is Buddy. And believe me, when you came knocking on the door, you felt the house shake because when he barked, he's like, I'm here and I'm going to protect my family. What was his atmosphere when you walked in the room? Everything's cool because I'm going to bite anybody in two if they come after you. He brought an atmosphere. Now, let's play a little game here. You know of people that have a certain atmosphere about them, a certain presence about them, right? When they walk into the room. Now, I want you to tell me the atmosphere of the person when I put them on the screen. Please. There's going to be political figures. I'm not asking you if you agree or disagree with them. I'm not even asking if you like or dislike them. I want you to tell me the atmosphere of the person. Okay? You know this guy. The Rock. Now, what's his atmosphere? Cocky? What? Chill. Assurance. All right. What about this guy? What if if you were to walk into the room with him, what would be the atmosphere around him? Confidence. What? Moody. I heard another word. I'm sorry. Stern. Arrogance. I believe he's arrogant. Sure of himself. All right. What about his atmosphere? Confident. It would be smooth. Classy. All right. Would you also say a little arrogance as well? Sure. Absolutely. You guys know this guy? Don't care if you like his music or not. What's his atmosphere? Tough. What? Fear. Fear. Let's remember that word. Fear. This is kind of a similar one. Young woman. Huh? Spoiled. But if you were into our atmosphere, what would you be feeling? Kind of like that? She comes into the room like that, and the whole room is affected. Right? This guy, Gandhi. I've never met the man, but I bet you I can pick out his atmosphere. Peace. Calm. Generous. I've never met these guys. What's their atmosphere? Say it, Rebecca. Fear. Look in the eyes. I'm going to be so tough, but behind those eyes is fear to me. They bring fear. Steve Jobs, what's his atmosphere? Mysterious, smart, I'm confident. I'm also a little mm, wary of him. I think he's going to rip my head off. I want you to see this picture here. That's the young Steve Jobs. This is before the, all the excess, uh, success of the uh, Macintosh and the iPad and all that. I see the same atmosphere. He knew where he was going. He just hadn't got there yet. Atmosphere. This guy's on vacation. <laughs> but what's his Atmosphere. Confidence. You want to get behind him? He's a leader. Right? All right, let's play a little game a little bit closer to home. Don't say anything. Stand up, sir. What's his atmosphere? He comes into the room and do you feel, oh, I'm calm. Yeah. John, would you stand up, please? Stand up. What's his atmosphere? No kidding. No kidding. Right? 
Does he kind of have a grandfather-type atmosphere about him? You know he cares, and if you ask him, he's got some candy or something for him. But you don't even have to know him, and you can feel it. Now, look at yourself. What's your atmosphere? What do you bring into the room? Hmm. I've got a clue. You're bringing in the room what you've been dwelling in. Let me give you an example. I used to watch a lot of what I call political TV. You know what I'm talking about? All right. And then they started getting really complaining and arrogant and vicious and chippy. And then I'd started feeling this, and I'd start taking it on. I'm just, you know, that's wrong, and that's wrong, and that's wrong, and that was my atmosphere because I was soaking in it, and I was dwelling in it, and guess what I'm not doing anymore? I put that stuff aside because of what it was making of me. Atmosphere. This is an astronaut. This is a perfect example of an orphan. Does he have an atmosphere? Yeah, it's all right in here. It's close, it's protected. All right? There's another atmosphere right behind him. Think of all the good stuff that he could be enjoying on Earth. Fresh water, right? Good food, friends. But an orphan will take himself away and isolate because he has a different atmosphere. What is it, Rebecca? Fear. Fear. Saul was invited to get into God's atmosphere. I want to look at 1 Samuel 10.1. That's where Saul was anointed. Sorry. 10.1. I think I have the wrong... He was anointed, right? He was following the donkey, right? Saul said, hey, you're the guy. I'm going to anoint you. When was he king? When he was anointed? It was part of it. God said, you're the king, right? But then, in 10, 6, and 8, Saul changed. He stepped into, I'm sorry about that Lord thing there. That was, that was a transfer. Father, this is no slant on you. You can blame PowerPoint. Please don't strike me. Verse 6. Then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, come upon you mightily and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. He stepped into the atmosphere, what? Of God. I'm stealing your message. It's spiritual plagiarism. Saul was anointed and he stepped into the atmosphere of God. Samuel 10, 9 and 10, Saul's heart was changed and he prophesied. Then it happened when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God changed his heart. And all those signs came about on that day. I've got a challenge for you. If you've got a problem, if you need healing, don't go to counseling. Get in the presence of God. Come on. Get in his atmosphere. Stop thinking like an astronaut. Fix me out in space. Get in God's atmosphere. Because he will change your heart. Like Darren's mom was literally healed of cancer because she got in the atmosphere of God. The atmosphere of Jesus was here this morning. We just happened to be in it, right? Amen? Woo! It's good. Saul's heart changed and he prophesied. Verse 10. When they came to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him. 
And the Spirit of God came upon him mightily. This is the guy chasing the donkey. Somebody says, now you're king. So that he prophesied among them. And it came about when all who knew him previously saw that he prophesied, now with the prophets, that the people said to one another, what has happened to this son of Kish? Esau also among the prophets. They couldn't recognize him. He was in the presence of God. Now Saul's natural atmosphere was fear, right? And we'll see that later. 10.24, Saul was appointed. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. When was he king? When he was anointed? When he was appointed? Or, as we're going to see, when he started acting like a king? Come on. We're going to... We're going to study four different battles. And we're going to see the progression of Saul from being in the presence or the atmosphere of God into the presence of Saul or the atmosphere of Saul, which is what, Rebecca? Fear. Battle one. Saul had been plowing in the field. This is after he was anointed as king and appointed as king And what did he do? He went back to plowing in the field. Let me read. About a month later, King Nahash of Ammon led his army against the Israelite town of Jabesh. Now, Nahash was your modern-day ISIS terrorist. They would surround a village and say, you're either going to submit or we're going to do some really bad things to you. But all the citizens of Jabesh asked for peace. Make a treaty with us. And we will be your servants. Now, these very same people in the previous chapter said, Saul, you're the king, you're our leader. And now they just said, we'll be the servants of this terrorist. He replied, all right, Nahash Nahash said, but only one condition. I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you as a disgrace to all of Israel. That was his terms. What a term. No taxes, we're just going to gouge your eyes out. They said, give us seven days to send messengers throughout Israel, replied the elders of Jabesh. If no one comes to save us, we will agree to your terms and have our eye gouged out. Golly. Then the messengers came to uh, Gibeah of Saul and told the uh, people about their plight. Everyone broke into tears. Saul had been plowing a field with his oxen. Listen to me. When you've been anointed and you've been appointed, keep doing your job. You just don't quit. His job happened to be plowing the field. And when he returned to town, he asked, what's the matter? Why is everyone crying? So they told him about the message from Jabesh. Sorry, my machine went to sleep. Y'all don't do the same. Saul had been plowing. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he became very angry. Where was Saul at? What atmosphere? What atmosphere? The atmosphere of God. The Spirit of God came on him powerfully upon Saul, and he became very angry. So Saul sent the messengers back to Gabesh. What is Saul's natural atmosphere? Fear. Uh, atmosphere. It's fear. But now he had stepped into God's atmosphere. We will rescue you by noontime tomorrow. Right? That sounds like a superhero move from a guy who just plowed the field. There was a great joy throughout the town when that message arrived. The men of Jabesh told the enemy, Tomorrow we will come out to you and you can do whatever you wish. But before dawn the next morning, Rambo and Saul arrived, having divided his army into three. It says that in the Greek right here. Rambo and Saul. And he launched a surprise attack against the Ammonites and slaughtered them the whole morning. The remnant of their army was so badly scattered that no two of them were left together. Right? The Spirit of God 
came on him powerfully. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal to renew the kingdom. So they all went to Gilgal, and in a solemn ceremony before the Lord, they made him king. When was he king? I think he was a king when he was anointed. I think he was a king when he was appointed. And I think he was king when he got, went and kicked the butt of those Jabesh people or whatever they were. You're a king when you're anointed. Right? You're a king when you're anointed. You are kings and queens. You're anointed. There will be a time when you'll be called on to act like a king. Amen? That's good preaching, James. Battle 2. Continued war with the Philistines. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 42 years. Saul selected 3,000 special troops from the army of Israel and sent the rest of the men home. He took 2,000 of the chosen men with him to Michmash. Have you ever had Michmash? It's really good with some chips. And the hill country of Bethel. The other 1,000 went into Saul, uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. Soon after this, Jonathan, that's my son, he's out in Bethel, attacked and defeated the garrison of the Philistines at Geba. The news spread quickly among the Philistines. So Saul, Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, Hebrews, hear this, rise up and revolt. All Israel heard the news that Saul had destroyed the Philistine garrison at Geba and that the Philistines now hated the Israelites more than ever. So the entire Israelite army was summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistine mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. What is Saul's natural atmosphere? It's fear, right? He's being challenged right now. What atmosphere are you going to dwell in? Saul's disobedience here. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilead, and his men were trembling in fear. Who dis, who, whose atmosphere did his men pick up? Saul's. They were in his presence, and they picked up his atmosphere. What if he says, I don't care if we're down to two men. We're going to go and kick their butts. All right, we can do it, because Saul said, what's his atmosphere? Confidence, right? Your atmosphere is incredibly important. You bring it into your house. You are responsible for the atmosphere in your house. Amen? Saul waited there for seven days for Samuel. Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. They were hiding out. They were running away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offering. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Only priests were allowed to sacrifice. Kings lead armies. Priests sacrificed. He got into a responsibility that was not his. Just as Saul was finished with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to meet him and welcomed him. But Samuel said, what have you done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattered before me, fear, and you didn't arrive when you said you would, blame. And the Philistines are at Michmash with chips, ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgah, and I have uh, even asked the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to take your responsibility to offer a burnt offering for myself before you came. Samuel said, how foolish. You have, not commit the, commit, you have not kept the commandment of the Lord. Uh, the Lord God gave you. Had you kept it, listen to this, the Lord would have established your kingdom forever. God was saying, what atmosphere are you going to be in when I bring fear in? Anybody ever face fear? I have. What atmosphere did I agree with? The atmosphere of the Word of God or freaking out and doing something I shouldn't be doing? Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom forever. But now your kingdom must end, God. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. 
and he's a worship leader at Open Heavens. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Samuel then left Gilgal and went on his way, but the rest of the troops went with Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to uh, Gibeah in the land of Benjamin, and then Saul counted the men who were with him, and he only found 600. 600 against the sands of the seashore, 3,000 charioteers. What did God say? Wait for the sacrifice. That's his atmosphere. You get it? Then Jonathan, who was in Bethel, that's my son, said to his armor bearer, I want you to ask yourself, what atmosphere was Jonathan, Saul's son, in? Right? Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outposts. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Let's go across to the outpost to those pagans. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us. Sorry, trying to do too many things at once. And trembling with fear, belt too. All right. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. If you can believe that nothing will hinder the Lord, whose atmosphere are you in? Right. Not his dad's. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or few. Jonathan decided, I'm going to be in the atmosphere of God no matter what. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. Sometimes you have to agree with somebody that has courage. I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm going to go with you because your atmosphere. He, that armor bearer picked up the atmosphere of Jonathan. I believe you. I feel your confidence. I'm the great Pyrenees. Let's go get him. Let's go bite him. I am with you completely, whatever you decide. All right, then. Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we will kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, hey, come on up here. You want a piece of me? Then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign. Come on. That he will help us defeat them that's pretty cool sometimes when you're in the atmosphere of God sometimes you need a sign Lord am I doing the right thing here I'm about to go into battle I'm about to go up to these guys I'm in your atmosphere what do you want it's like here's your sign right here's your sign when the Philistines saw them somebody got that saw them coming out they said look the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes when the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come up here and we will teach you a lesson, come on, climb, climb right up behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So he climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed those who came up behind them. They had 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about a half of an acre. Suddenly, panic broke out. Now, parents, here's a tool. Mark talked about tools. I release, as a father, I release panic on the enemies that are coming against my kids. The, the demonic forces that are assigned to my kids, I release panic on them. They have a tool of trying to bring panic into my house. I'm turning it back on them. I do that as a father. And it scatters the enemy. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outpost and raiding parties. And just then, an earthquake struck. And everyone, everyone was terrified. God met them at their place of obedience. God met them with an earthquake. Jonathan swung the sword. Out of obedience, God met them in their obedience. Saul's lookout at Gibeth and Benjamin saw the strange sight. A vast army of Philistines began to melt away in every direction. Call the roll and find out who's missing, Saul ordered. And when they did, they checked that Jonathan and his armor bearer was gone. 
Then Saul shouted to Ahibab. He was the guy that, that wore the ephod, all right? And, he, they, and uh, for at that time, Elijah was wearing the ephod in front of the Israelites. But while Saul was talking to the priest, the confusion of the Philistines came, uh, camp grew louder and louder. So Saul said to the priest, never mind, I don't need to hear the word of the Lord from you. Let's get going. He didn't even, he didn't, a, a second time, he didn't go seek the Lord on what to do. He's just like, yeah, let's go. My son, Jonathan, is leading the way. Then Saul and all his men rushed out of the battle and found the Philistines killing each other. That's what you do as parents, guys. You sick the panic on them, and they'll kill each other. That's their nature. If you're in the atmosphere of the Father, if you're the atmosphere of fear, then it's going to be put back on you. There was a terrible confusion everywhere. Even the Hebrews had previously gone out uh, over to the Philistine army, revolted, and joined with Saul and Jonathan and the rest of the Israelites. Likewise, the men of Israel who were hiding in the hill country of Ephraim joined and chased them, and they saw the Philistines running away. The 3,000 men being chased by 600 or chariots. So the Lord saved Israel that day. Now, who swung the sword? Who saved Israel? But who swung the sword? Come on. There's both of you. We need both. You can't be in the presence of God and eat chips on the couch. You can't be in the atmosphere of God and just be a bystander in the stands. You've got to get out on the field. You've got to swing the sword. God will meet you there, but you've got to do your part. Amen? So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle continued to rage even beyond Beth-haven. Now, when Saul was secured, when Saul had secured his grasp on Israel's throne, he fought against his enemies in every direction, against Moab and all these other kings, and wherever he turned, he was victorious. I'm sorry, but that was Jonathan's victory. That was Jonathan's battle. That was Jonathan's glory. Because he went out and did it, but Saul took the glory for it. He performed great deeds and conquered the Amalekites, saving Israel from all those that plundered him. Let's look at battle three. One day Saul, uh, Samuel came up to Saul, and the Lord, told, uh, the Lord told me to anoint you king of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord, Samuel said. This is what the Lord's heaven's armies had declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came out to Egypt. You know it's a bad day when God's going to settle his accounts. That's some serious stuff. God's come to call and collect against an army that attacked Israel when they weren't ready. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek. Now go and completely destroy the entire uh, Amalekite nation. Men, this is from God now. This isn't me. Women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. You know God's going to settle accounts when he's going after the donkeys and the camels. God wasn't messing around. This was his command to Saul. So Saul mobilized his armies at Telem. There's about 200,000 soldiers. Wow, you went from 600 to 2,000 and 10,000 from Judah. I don't know if you knew that your son had 10,000 in the army, but <laughs> you never know what's in that closet. When Saul and his army went down uh, to the town of Amalekites, they laid in wait in the valley, and Saul sent his Warning. He sent a warning. Did God say send a warning? No. He said go wipe them out. He sent a warning to the Kenites. No, I'm sorry. My bad. He sent a warning to the Kenites. Move away from where the Amalekites live or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and got out of the way. Then Saul slaughtered 
the Amalekites, from uh, Havel all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured, you see captured in that? He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. What atmosphere were they in? Saul's greed, fear. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. God said all of it was worthless. Saul said, no, I'm the judge. I'll declare what's worthless. When God's dealing with sin in your life, guys, he says this is worthless, you might want to get rid of it. Because he, he, the judge, says it's worthless. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king. That'd be sad words to say. I am sad I ever made you king. For he has not been loyal to me. And he refused to obey my command. And Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Man, he is totally out of the atmosphere of God. He is that astronaut out in space, setting up monuments to himself. And when he went out, and when and when he went on to Gilgal, then Samuel finally found him. Saul greeted him cheerfully, like, "Look what I've made for myself." May the Lord bless you," he said. "I have carried out the Lord's command." A lie. Then what is all this bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded. It is true that the army spared the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle, Saul admitted, but they were going to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. But they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. Not Saul's God. Samuel's God. He is totally out of the atmosphere. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul said. Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush to plunder and do what was evil in the sight of God? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back the king of Agag. What? What mission was that? But I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought back the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and the plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. When you're in the atmosphere of God, how many lords are there? How many kings are there? Right? The blessing is there if you submit to him. Do you remember the first battle where he was all wrapped up in the fury and going out and the Lord was with him? That's our success. It's when we have submitted to his lordship in his atmosphere. Saul blew it. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he rejected you as king. Now, again, what is the atmosphere of Saul? Fear. Come battle four. All right? This is the guy that chased 3,000 chariots, right? He's won three battles that are mentioned here and many others. Goliath, battle four. 
The Philistines now mustered their army for battle. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out to the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. Goliath stood and shouted and taunted across to the Israelites, Why are you all... Uh, why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only, what? Whose atmosphere was the army in now? What's the atmosphere of Saul? Choose one man to come out down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. Now, who set the rules of battle here? The enemy. Why would Saul agree with the rules of battle that the enemy set? Why didn't he go to Samuel or the ephod or hear how God wanted to fight the battle? He had agreed with the world's way of fighting a battle. People, I'm afraid too many of us are fighting our battles with the, ru- the rules of the world. If Goliath says, or if a corporation says, or if this sin that I'm fighting says, or if my addiction says, or if I have trouble in my family, why do we go to the rules of the world? That's a different atmosphere. This is the atmosphere of Goliath. These are my rules. You've got to go by my rules. I come against that. If you have a battle, go to the Lord. Lord, how do you want to fight this battle? It may not be the, time, the, the way we did it last time. How do you want to fight this battle? In our family, we have a saying, well, well, let's seek the Lord. Let's go to the Lord. Somebody has a problem? Okay, let's go to the Lord. Do we do that, guys? We do that all the time. Got a problem. It's a battle. What are we going to do? Let's go to the Lord. Let's see how he wants to fight this battle. Goliath says, I defy the armies of Israel today. Goliath didn't even know whose army it was. Send me a man to fight. Then, here's the sadness, here's the completion. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they operated out of their own atmosphere. What else can you do? When you have an atmosphere of fear, you get terrified. When one person is standing in front of you. Now, come on, give me a break. Dave, you're a hunter. You have one big guy back there. What would you do? I would send my armies of uh, archers and just go let them have it, right? I would surround them. I'd do whatever. But one guy? Are you kidding me? How easy is that? But what they were doing is they were submitting to his rules of battle. Oh, we don't have a big guy. Well, forget that. God, how do you want to do this? I'm going to take a little shepherd boy with a rock and knock this guy down. That's God's rules. That's God's atmosphere. And that's the introduction of the next king. Because he, this little guy, was in God's atmosphere. And he did it God's way. Amen? Atmospheres atmospheres it's important what atmosphere are you in are you in an atmosphere of fear like my little lawn dog just biting and snapping at every time somebody crosses you are you going to be in the atmosphere of God now it takes a submission you can't be king you can't be the Lord you submit but I tell you what if you submit he'll raise you he'll raise you up he'll raise you up he'll give you more amen All right, let's bow our heads. Father, I submit. I don't want to be that astronaut out there all by myself. I don't want to have the atmosphere of Saul where I'm just operating out of fear and snapping and snapping at my kids and snapping at my wife. One big problem comes up and I freak out. No, I reject that. I will be patient and rest in your atmosphere, even though all the armies are coming after me and I've got a little army of 600, whatever it is. I will not fear, for you are with me. 
A will is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's the atmosphere. The atmosphere of God. The atmosphere of Jesus. Of healing. Of power. Of contentment. Of where I'm at. I will stay in your atmosphere. Help me, Father. Let me know you're there. I will climb that hill and fight those guys. But I just need to know you're with me. And you are with me. We thank you, Lord, for putting an atmosphere out there that we have free access to. We don't have to be perfect to get into your atmosphere. We could be chasing donkeys across the countryside and get into your atmosphere. It's free, guys. Like a spaceship comes back through into our atmosphere, there's a lot of heat and friction. I'm telling you, at the cross, Jesus took that away. There is no fear of coming into his presence. His presence brings healing. His presence brings the battle won. The problem you have. I invite everyone here to step into his atmosphere completely. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We go with you this week in your atmosphere, in your power, in your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. 